Hey, and welcome to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. At Cows, we like to keep things simple. We are committed to verse-by-verse teaching through the Bible to help people know, love, and become fully committed followers of Jesus. It is our prayer and hope that this message challenges, encourages, and equips you to that end. Psalm 22, if you've got your Bibles. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me... You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Okay, so... The psalm, and as we go through Acts 13 today, we see there's just so much scripture going back into the Old Testament, and uh, particularly into the psalms, because David is referenced quite a bit here in uh, in Acts 13. So the psalm reflects the heart of David, who is a former king, and he's obviously he's revered by the nation of Israel. And there's so many prophetic words. Uh, talking about our saviour the lord jesus christ did you pick that up as we were going through probably not the first time you heard the psalm hopefully but uh, yeah just so many prophetic words pointing to our lord jesus christ so it would have been read in the synagogues year after year time after time uh, and even during the time of christ and obviously after but sadly a lot of times it fell on deaf ears the word of god proclaimed day after day the the prophets and the law being spoken in the synagogue 
fell on deaf ears many times during the synagogue meetings. Uh, like in uh, verse, verse 1, verse 7, verse 16, verse 17 and more, speaks of the Messiah, the one that they had been waiting for, yet we know that they rejected him. They rejected the Messiah when he came. So today we're going to Antioch, Pisidia, and uh, to, oh, sorry Dan, I didn't have it there, but it's all right. I should have had map there anyway. Um, so today we're going to Antioch, Pisidia, and here Paul declared the good news of the Messiah once again, his saviour. The saviour that transformed Paul's life. Now he gets the opportunity to go into the synagogue once again and to share. So do you find sometimes when you're talking with people from a non-church background um, that when, they're share, when you're sharing your testimony um, to them or sharing about life and church, you get these blank looks at you? Like, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? I learned a new one this week, um, Mick, when I visited your work. I'm a churchy. So I've got to grab, I'm a churchy person. Because you're a churchy person. <laughs> so it's a, new, it's a new word I learned this week. Uh, so, yeah, do you ever get those blank looks or do you stumble over words trying to explain your testimony or about Christ? And I find I, I, I'm challenged with that because I still struggle at times. A lot of my, the last 30-odd years has been involved in ministry, but amongst churches, amongst believers, in mission organisations. So my vocabulary has needed to change as I'm back in Australia and, um, but I've got to remember I've got to use the right words because Australians have pretty flavoursome words. So I don't want to be using those words when I'm sharing the gospel. So but sharing in an appropriate way or what we call contextualising the message, the gospel, is so important to the audience, to the hearer. Uh, we know Satan has blinded the mind of people in this world. Uh, there's so many things happening out there that... You know, we're just so busy. Uh, I'm talking to a guy this week and he's just so busy at work, he doesn't have time to think about anything else or even to invest in his family or to even take a holiday. So there's so many obstacles there for people to even know that, that, you know, that God exists. So obviously we need to, as we share God's word, the importance of laying the foundation of prayer. Prayer, asking God that he prepare the heart of the listener as we have the opportunity to share God's word in whatever way he has for us during the day. So as we go through the narrative today, we'll see firsthand how Paul and Barnabas appropriate or contextualise the message of the gospel. And then we'll also see the outcome of that as we get to from verse 13 to verse 52 of Acts 13. But in Acts so far, we have seen miracle after miracle after miracle, haven't we? We've seen so much what God is doing as people obey him. Uh, we've seen the servants of God, their lives just taken from them. They've been martyred for the sake of the gospel for Christ. But then we've also seen thousands of people come to know the Lord as well. So people giving their lives and then people, thousands coming to know the Lord as well. People that were once lost but are now found, found in Christ. Uh, we have seen the rejection of the gospel by the Jews and then the gospel now going out bit by bit to the Gentile nations. And we'll see more of that today. Uh, we have seen from those that have been saved by God's grace then take the gospel to some very difficult places. And as we get into the missionary journeys, we're going to see sea travel, land travel, Nothing that we've probably experienced because we'd get in a plane or a car and things like that today. But back then, things were tough. And actually, um, okay, but I'll get too sidetracked because time-wise, but uh, I was, uh, Marie showed me a photo of uh, uh, a missionary man in, uh, in Panama when we were there, Daniel Miranda. He was an a, 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 a indigenous person, became a believer, and he just travels these mountains of Panama from village to village to village, um, we're talking mountains, and uh, just sharing God's word. And so difficult, 
difficulties are still out there for those that are sharing God's word. Difficult places to get at. Um, okay, yeah, I think I said that. We have seen sorrow as we go through the book of Acts. But we have seen joy given by the Holy Spirit as he's working in and through people's lives. And then we see God building his church, not just in Jerusalem, but also in Judea, Samaria, and now it's going out to the ends of the earth. We've seen Samaritans saved, Ethiopians saved, uh, Roman officials saved, and all their household. Uh, now Gentiles from all parts of the Middle East, Asia, Central Asia, that are all folks that... Um, People are coming to know the Lord as the gospel goes out there. And as we continue to go through the book of Acts and into the missionary journeys, we're going to see that more and more and more. People coming out of darkness into God's marvellous light. So I've just coined uh, today's um, sermon, continuing in the book of Acts, putting things into perspective putting things into perspective. And if you can go back to the map, Dan, please. So that red blob over there, that's the area that we're talking about today, Antioch, Pisidia, in that area there. We've got the Antioch there over in Syria, but we're over there in, in Asia there, Turkey today. Okay, so Acts 13, verse 13. If you can track with me today, I'm going to sort of be chunking it as we go because there's a lot to get through and I will do my best to keep time. I'll try not to get too sidetracked. But uh, verse 13 says this. Now when Paul and his party set sail for Patmos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia and John departing from them, returning to Jerusalem. So Paul and Barnabas, John, John Mark, come to Perga and John leaves them and goes back to Jerusalem. And if you want to know why John left, you have to be for Acts 15, okay? If you want to know, or you can read ahead, but, but that's come back. So they're in, they're in uh, Antioch, Pisidia, verse 14. But when they depart from Perga, they come to Antioch, Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they sat down. So going into the synagogue for the Jews, as we know and still is, a very, very important weekly event. It was where they went, where the worshippers of God went to hear the Torah and where things, uh, where the, sorry, things, the writings from the prophets were read, the law and the prophets, and they were expanded on there. Also in the synagogues, they practiced performing the rite of passages for the young men Historical events were also observed, like the Passover in the synagogue. It was also a place of learning, a school, and it was also used as a courthouse. The synagogue was seen as the centre of the Jewish community. In fact, one of the meanings of the synagogue means community of Israel. Community of Israel. And especially for those that weren't living in Jerusalem, those that were in foreign lands, it was their identity, so to speak, a place to come and to identify with their roots of who they are, they are their heritage. And interestingly, in, uh, in the Gospels, as we look at the life of Christ, around about, on about 10 occasions, Jesus himself went into the synagogue. Obviously, coming from Nazareth, a Jewish community, he went to the synagogue regularly, but when you see him starting his ministry, when he was 30, he went into the synagogues. Why did he go into the synagogues? I think we know because he wanted to reach his own people and declare that he was the Messiah. He went in himself personally declaring, I am who I am. I am the Messiah. But we know what happened, hey? He was rejected by his own people. And eventually we know what happened. So as we see, as we study the life of Christ, we see he was part of a church, synagogue community. He was there, he was involved, he participated, he functioned and served in that community. And so today we find Paul and Barnabas 
in Antioch, Pisidia on the Sabbath and obviously desiring and taking their time to reach out and look for opportunities to share about Christ the Messiah. Uh, for Paul, we know this was familiar territory. He was very familiar with going in and out of the synagogue and what took place in there. He knew it inside out, back to front. He and Barnabas also knew that being visitors coming into Antioch, Pisidia, that they would have the opportunity to share God's word once the law, whatever they were sharing that day from the law and the prophets, was finished. And so when Paul gets the summons from the um, synagogue leaders, he doesn't say no, does he? Paul could not say no to the opportunity to share God's word. And he loved going back to the beginning, a bit like Peter A. They would go back. They would give background. They would give context on the story that they were telling, the narrative from the law and the prophets. But uh, although Paul was loved sharing God's word and he was a good narrator of God's word as we, as we look uh, into his life, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, and this is what Paul says of himself. And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come to you with excellent speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. But listen to this. It was in the demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. So that was Paul's desire, was that he would decrease, like John said, and that the Lord would increase. And so Paul, we know his testimony, we went through that a few weeks ago, but Paul without any doubt knew that God had worked so deeply in his life that he just couldn't trust himself. He couldn't trust what he was going to say. He was totally dependent on the Spirit of God within him to declare the truth of God's word. And here he is in the synagogue and he's got the opportunity to share with his, with his brothers the message of the Messiah. So in verses 15 and 16, back in Acts uh, 13, and it says this, And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them or said to them saying men and brethren paul and barnabas if you have any words of exhortation for the people say on and then paul stood up and motioned with his hands and said men of israel and you who fear god listen so we're not sure what uh, barnabas why barnabas didn't wasn't recorded here or if he said anything maybe barnabas said hey Paul, you just go for it here. Um, it's your, your turn. You declare here. You declare the truth of who the Messiah is. So Paul motioned with his hands. I don't know how he did it, um, but he got their attention as it was custom to do in the synagogue. And I love the way that Paul begins to address uh, everybody there listening. It's in a very honouring way. It's in a very respectful way, an appropriate way, and we can see that it captures the audience as he begins to address the people, men of Israel and those who fear God, listen. So if you, if you catch it here as well, there's more than just a Jewish audience here. There's Gentiles listening in. So yes, we've got the, the, the Jews in the synagogue, and then we've got the Gentiles in the outer area there, listening to the word of God or what's about to, be, about to be said. So I was thinking, what's a respectful way in our culture to begin a conversation? I mean, there's this word organically uh, that comes up like, what's at the right time? What's, what's a way to engage in a conversation with people? Uh, the, the word of God will give you a testimony. Is it going out for a coffee or is it establishing a relationship first? Uh, is it inviting folks over? Or is it helping somebody in a difficult time and then the opportunity comes up to share 
your testimony about about Christ uh, is a finding a phrase or an in. You've got to be really dependent upon God, don't you, to know how to begin a conversation about the Lord. Because we've all got a testimony. We've all got our lives to share of what he has done for us. Hence, it's finding an appropriate way to share the word of God, and it's vital so that we can engage the listener of what Christ has done with us. And obviously, it's prayer, isn't it? Praying, asking God to prepare the heart and preparing us to share a word in season and out of season. I remember uh, in, in when we lived in Africa, uh, to, to go like this, when you're, being, when you're introducing yourself and you're, or you're talking to somebody and you, you're, just, you're putting your hand here over your heart, basically it's saying you're, you're, you're ready to receive what they've got to say. They've known that you're, you're not armed, actually. You're, you've come in peace. So, yeah, it's just an appropriate way to come into a conversation. Uh, a lot of people from the Middle East do the same. So when you're approaching them in a conversation, put your hand here and they'll know that you're coming in peace. So going back to the scriptures here, so it seems that the Gentiles were able to listen in to the conversation. Uh, they weren't allowed in the synagogue, as we know, because if a Gentile went into a synagogue, what would have happened? It would have been undefiled, wouldn't it? Then it would have to been all go through rituals to be clean. So the Gentiles knew their place. The proselytes could go in because they had gone through the, the Jewish conversion process and were allowed in. Okay, let's go to verse 17 to 22 in Acts 13. It says this, The God of this people, so this is Paul now beginning the narration. He's going back. He's painting the bigger picture. I know Marie says to me sometimes, why don't you just get to the point? But I go, but look what Paul does. Look, he's, he's going back. He's given the background. So I'm doing the same today, but I'm using the scriptures. Uh, so the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time and of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them in allotments. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And after they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul of Kish, a man of the Benjamite, a man of the Benjamin tribe for 40 years. And then he had removed him, Saul, and then they raised, raised, he raised up David, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, a son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and who will do the will of God. Can you see where Paul's going with his audience? He's trying to connect, he's contextualizing, he's appropriating the message so that they'll capture the truth of God's word. And remember, these guys know the truth. Well, they know God's word, if I can say, say that. So Paul goes straight to the heart of the, in Jewish history and the forefathers of their nation. He's using Moses and Aaron as his instruments to see Israel freed from the bondage of the Egyptian. And then he, Paul goes on to talk about the wandering in the wilderness of the Israelites. And then under Joshua's command and God going before them, entering the land of Canaan, the promised land. And Paul then continues orating about raising up judges uh, to rule over Israel for 450 years. And then they asked for a king. And that was, we know that was a big mistake, wasn't it? They asked for a king, but God gave them what they wanted. Saul was the first king, David was the second one, and as it says there, and quoted from the Psalms, a man after my heart. The choosing of David by God is one of those pivotal points in the history of mankind and also obviously in our biblical history as well. And Psalm 89, now I don't, we don't have time to go through it all, but it's so prophetic how it's pointing to Christ. And this is what again is read in the synagogue time and time again, but they, the, the Jewish people seem to miss it, the majority. But I just want to take out a few things out of Psalm 
89, which, which is pointing to the Messiah. Uh, verse verse uh, 19, I have exalted one chosen from the people. Verse 20, I have found my servant David. With my, with my holy oil, I have anointed him. Verse 21, with whom my hand shall be established. And then down in verse 24, but my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him and, my, and in my name his horn shall be exalted. Verse 26, he shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, my rock and my salvation. Verse 27, and I will make him my firstborn, the highest of kings on the earth. My mercy, I will keep him forever. My mercy, I will keep him forever. And my covenant shall stand firm with him. Can you see the Messiah? Can you see Christ being spoken here? And again, this is what's spoken of in the synagogue. And uh, verse 34, my covenant, I will not break with him. This is what God said about David, but this is also what God said about Christ. He, uh, verse 36, uh, and we'll talk more about this in the passage because Paul brings it up. Verse 36, his seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. Verse 37, and it shall be established forever like, like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Selah. So thinking, so David sharing God's word, uh, sorry, Paul sharing God's word in the synagogue here. So what are the Jewish audience thinking? What's going through their mind as the word of God is being proclaimed to them in this synagogue in Antioch, Pisidia? Paul's narrating about the life of David, the covenant that God made with him. David, it was highly respected by the Jewish nation. So as they're, they're listening to Paul, they're saying, yes, Paul, go for it. You're on the right track. Preach it, brother. Keep going. But things start to take a bit of a twist in verse 23. So as we read here in the psalm, and it's quoted here in Acts 23, 13, 23, from this man's seed, according to the promise God raised up Israel as Saviour Jesus. So now they're starting to squirm because they've probably heard it before. They've tracked what happened to Jesus and the other apostles. So Paul comes in bang with this quote from the Old Testament from this man's seed. God raised up for Israel Jesus, the Messiah, the Saviour. So the dagger goes in further, straight to the heart of the audience now. And they're probably not feeling too comfortable with what is being declared. But hey, they're still there and they're listening. They haven't run out the doors yet. So maybe they were even reflecting on what had happened with, with, with Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe they were reflecting then. This is a bit of speculation, sorry. But... What's happening in the heart and mind of the audience? Remember, Paul is bringing in, he's contextualizing the message. He, he wants the word of God to speak to them. So maybe they're thinking about their Pharisee mates that put Jesus on the cross. Okay, Acts 13, 24, 25. So now Paul is shifting, he's bringing, he's jumping hundreds of years. Now he's going to talk about John the Baptist. So verse 24, 25, after John had first preached, before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John was finishing his course, he said, who do you think I am? Am I not he? But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. So Paul's bringing in Old Testament scripture again. He's talking about Isaiah here. Isaiah 40, 3 to 5. And I, for time's sake, I won't read it through. Mm. No, I won't read it through. But you, you got it right. You can read it in your, in your Bible. But he's bringing in Psalm 40, 3 and 5. Okay, now in verse 26, back in Acts, he goes on. So he's brought in John, who they had an issue with, right? 
They had an issue with him. Herod had his head chopped off. And in verse 26 in Acts 13, men and brethren, son of the family of Abraham. Now he's going, John, now he's going way back to Abraham. And those among you who fear God, to the word of this salvation, it has been sent. It's been sent to you, the Jewish people. So now here Paul goes back even further to the foundation of, of the nation of Israel by bringing Abraham into the narrative, revered by all Jews. But you, you also notice what Paul said here in verse 26. Family of Abraham and those who fear God. Remember, there's another audience out there. There's others listening. The Gentiles are listening to the word of God as well. So he's engaging with these two groups these two distinct audiences, and he wants them to track with him, with him because the message of the gospel is the most important message in the world. Wouldn't you agree? It, has it changed your life? You, you're tracking? Yeah, it has, hasn't it? Otherwise you wouldn't be here. It's the most important message in the world. So now the challenge comes to the two audiences. Verses 27-29 in Acts 13. For those who dwell in Jerusalem, it says, and their rulers because they did not know him, nor even the voice of the prophets, which were read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him, the Messiah. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that, what, that he should be put to death. For no reason, verse 29 now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. So you can see Paul's going deeper, deeper into the truth of who this Messiah is, who they crucified. So again, Paul hits them between the eyes saying, our forefathers, the prophets, who's just been mentioning and who have been read in the synagogue time and time again, you have not listened. It's been read day after day, week after week, month after month in the synagogue, year after year. But it hasn't penetrated the heart. It's been here, it's been head knowledge, but it hasn't come down to the heart. Because he, when the Messiah came, you rejected him. You actually put him on the cross. And there he died. He'd done nothing wrong in the sight of God and man, but you rejected him. And he's really going to hit him again here in verses 30 and 33. But God raised him from the dead. Remember, there's a difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what they believed in the resurrection. So I don't know if there's any Sadducees in the audience here, but he's trying to bring him back to the truth but God raised him from the dead he was seen for many days by those who came up he came up with uh, him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are his witnesses to his people and we declare to you the glad tidings that promise which was made to the fathers God has fulfilled this for us their children and that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the psalm the second psalm you are my son, today I have begotten you. So again, Paul is quoting the Old Testament and he's declaring the glad tidings to them in the synagogue today. He spoke to the fathers and he's speaking to them right now about God's son. And again, he's just quoting, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Bringing in, he's contextualizing, he's appropriating the message to his audience. Then Paul's repeating in verses 34 and 35 in Acts. And they raised him from the dead. He actually mentions it three times within the space of a, a few paragraphs. And he raised him from the dead. So his repetition, it's, it's driving the point home, isn't it? So he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. And that's quoting from Psalm 1610. So though Jesus died, he was buried. 
He was still God. He was still God's son. And he rose from the dead to be the eternal, self-sustaining, all-powerful God. And he was not corrupt in any way, not like David was. David was the king. He is revered by Israel, but he was corrupt. He had sinned against God, but Christ had never sinned. But God raised him up from the dead. He was the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And even using that phrase, the Jewish people would understand perfectly well because they knew all about the story of Abraham, Isaac, and the suffering there, the shedding of blood, the shedding of blood for mankind. His sins could forgive mankind past, present, and future for everything that he has done, and he still does. Okay, verse 36 and 37 says this, For David, after he had served, so Abraham, back to David, <clears throat> his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sin. And by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work the work of your days and the work which you by no means believe, though we declare it to you. So Paul just gave the gospel using the Old Testament, using David, their king. He's just given them the gospel. You can only be justified through who? Through the Messiah, through Christ, not through David, because he was corrupt. Only through Christ, the Messiah, God's son, who was incorruptible. And then in verse 40, he's quoting from Habakkuk, Habakkuk 1.5. So Paul going back to King David, linking the old and the new, David being of corruptible seed, but Jesus being of incorruptible seed. Why? Why is he bringing that up? Because we know the message now is going, one of the reasons I believe, is the message is going out now to the Gentiles. Because we know that the Jewish nation had rejected them, had rejected Christ, sorry, rejected Christ, and now the gospel is going out. So this man, Jesus, who is incorruptible, and he walked among you, whom God raised from the dead, was who God said could forgive your sin. Now that would have had a huge impact on them. That Jesus, the man from Nazareth, God's son, born of a virgin, he can forgive your sin. And for the Jews that was just like, we can't take it. But it's true. We've seen it, we saw it happen. We have evidence of it in God's word. <clears throat> we have evidence of that in our life. Jesus forgives us of our sin past, present and future. The law that Moses gave, regulations, the law that Moses gave could not forgive sin, but it led us to Christ who could forgive us our sins. So the warning, <clears throat> Paul gives a warning. Thanks, Maria. Sorry, just pause for a sec. Thanks, hon. So Paul is giving a warning here to his audience, to the two audiences, remember, to the Jews and to the Gentile listeners. He's saying, don't be like Israel of old, who got judged for their sin and their wrongdoing. Don't be like them, but listen. God raised up Jesus and Messiah from the dead, and he's seated at the right hand of God. So the narration... The story, all the way around, Moses, Joshua, down, David, John the Baptist, back up to David, down again. He's finished his story. He's finished the narration. I don't know how long it took him, but I reckon longer than 30 minutes. So it says in verse 42, when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged, 
Pick up that, that the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So these guys are hungry for God's word. Can we come again next Sunday? Oh, Saturday, sorry. Can we come again next Saturday to listen to the word of God? So it's very interesting. We see little response from the Jewish audience. However, the Gentiles, they begged that the word of God be preached to them again the next Sabbath. So can you see what God is doing? Remember the transition that we've been talking about as we're going through these last few chapters of Acts, that the gospel is now being, is going to the Gentiles, as God had promised. So the crowd broke up, and in verse 43, now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and the devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So many of them followed Paul and Barnabas, and Paul and Barnabas, listening to them, said, I encourage you guys, don't give up what you've heard today. Meditate upon, agree upon, ask God to take away all the scales, the blindness of religiosity and whatever, whatever else is there stopping you from understanding the gospel. We encourage you, we encourage you to keep looking to Jesus the Messiah, not to the law of Moses anymore. Don't we all need encouragement, folks? We all need encouragement to keep going. We hit brick walls. I hit a few brick walls this week in my, in my walk with the Lord. Uh, but hey, we all need encouragement. We all need time to pray together, encourage one another. One thing I love about this community is that we can share with one another. We've got a little... Um, telegram groups and whatever going, personal ones, but we can come together as a body of Christ. We can share our trials, our struggles, our difficulties, our joy, our encouragement with one another. But coming together as a body of Christ should encourage us. So I'm going to put a little plug in here, small groups. It's a place where you can get encouragement. It's a place where you can get pray for one another, where you can read God's word together. It's a great opportunity to be part of a smaller group, if you want to say, of believers. What's funny about that? Oh, right. Okay, I made a pun. I didn't even know it. Okay, so the next Sabbath. So remember, there's a hunger for God's word. So the next Sabbath. Sorry. Okay, so the next Sabbath they come together, but there's a different flavour. There's a different atmosphere amongst some of the Jewish leaders. Verse 44 to 45. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city come together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken to Paul. Totally opposite, isn't it? Last week they're listening this week they're going, hey, we've had enough of these guys. Envy, bitterness. Does that like sound like during that trial, that time of Christ, when he's entering the synagogue, when he's on trial, different occasions like that? Envy, bitterness, and it's the word of God penetrating the heart. There's a choice. So in reality, they're going to the synagogue to worship God, right? going to church to worship God, but in their hearts what? Envy, bitterness, accusations. So opposing God, Paul and Barnabas and the others who had come to hear the preaching of God's word, a minority group. So it wasn't everybody, but think about it, a minority group is stirring up issues. And we could just take that and applied to situations in our nation today and around our world. But this minority group, they gather, they're calling out that these men are blaspheming, totally different than what they were saying last week. And again, one of the reasons I believe behind that is that God is now taking the gospel to the Gentiles, giving them the responsibility to see the, the word of God go to the ends of the earth. And then that's pretty evident when we look at verses 46 and 47. 
Then Paul and Barnabas, it says this, Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you rejected it and judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life. Wow. That's pretty tough, isn't it? To say that, that's, that's boldness. To say that to somebody and to a group of people that are not happy campers. And judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life. So they're not rejecting Paul and Barnabas. They're rejecting God the Messiah. The one who they're meant to be going to the synagogue to worship. So behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Verse 47. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be the salvation to the ends of the earth. So both Paul and Barnabas in unison rebuked the Jews for their rejection of the Messiah by saying it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to the Jews first, but you rejected it. And again, this is quoted from Isaiah 49.6. So you couldn't be much clearer, could you? It was a very clear message that Paul and Barnabas were giving and warning to the Jewish people there in Antioch, Pisidia. And it's another clear rebuke to the Jews who ultimately were, ta- were to take that responsibility of sending to be that light, that salt and light to the rest of the nations. But they rejected the Messiah. So verses 48 and 49, <clears throat> when the Gentiles heard this, so remember there's two audiences? So when the Gentiles heard this, they were just so happy. It says they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. They didn't praise Paul and Barnabas, but they gave thanks for the word of the Lord. Because remember, Paul is using the Old Testament. He's using the writings. He's, he's making the message appropriate, not about him, but he's using the word of God to, to bring the message. So they were glad when they heard the word of the God, word of the Lord. And listen to verse 49. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the region. Little birdies, you know, just going, the word of God going out. Verse 50, but the Jews stirred up the devout. They weren't happy still, right? Because the word of God's going out. Verse 50, but the Jews stirred up the devout prominent women and chief men in the city, raised up a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. So they were continuing in their anger, hatred, envy, bitterness. They stirred up the prominent people of the city, those that had clout, to get these guys out of here. But what did Paul and Barnabas do? They dusted their feet against them. Just as, remember when they went out two by two in, in, in the book of Mark? sharing the word of God, and when they were rejected from the homes or places that they went to, they were to shake the dust off their feet. And then verse 52, listen to this. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So not discouraged, they're not giving up, we're going back to Jerusalem, we have had enough. No, they kept going, they persevered, They were not trusting themselves. They were trusting the Spirit of God. Yeah, there might have been some discouragement, some disappointment, but you know what? They kept going, didn't they? They kept going. The Holy Spirit was guiding them. It was directing them. And um, I, just in closing here, um, well, there's a little bit more in closing, but yeah, nearly there. So when we lived in, in, in Panama in the village, co-workers to other families and it got to a point after a few years we were just all so discouraged the gospel had gone out in this community and um, discipleship was happening church services um, going house to house small group uh, bible studies but then it just diminished the lack of interest of god's word increased People couldn't be bothered coming to church anymore. Um, The discipleship wasn't mutual. And we all got to a point as a team, we were just so discouraged. And we we just, yeah, we said, oh, let's go. 
somewhere else. There was another place called Miramar where same people group, different community, and we'd been there, we'd done um, conferences there, and we said, why don't we just go there? There's a hunger for God's word. It makes sense to go there, right? So we called in our leadership and we talked it over with them and we prayed and prayed and prayed and God said, guess what? Stay. So Paul and Barnabas, they left, but in our situation, God says, stay. So as a team, we stayed, we persevered, we saw little miracles here and there. I wouldn't say there was a big change, but it's God's church, right? And we had to be guided by the Spirit of God to be obedient to him. So it could be different in every situation, but we know when you're in life and in ministry, there's discouragement. But we have to turn to the Lord. Okay, so to sum up, Acts 13. Thank you for tracking with me today. Acts 13. This is to sum it up in the take-homes, take-away. Be prepared to know your audience when you're sharing God's word. Be prepared as much as possible to know your audience. Be prepared to share the good news. Be prepared to engage in your church community. And we see that. It was one of the themes running through today. Uh, be prepared to see what God will do. What will God do with you and I if we are obedient to him, being led by the Spirit of God? Be prepared for persecution. We don't like that one, do we? But be prepared for the hard times, for the discouraging times. Well, I've got that next. And then be prepared to be filled with joy from the Holy Spirit. We don't think about that one too often, do we? But be prepared to be filled with joy from the Spirit of God as you are obedient to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word again. Thank you that it is rich. Thank you, Lord, that your word speaks to our hearts. It changes, it transforms us. It takes away discouragement. Lord, it takes away or puts into perspective, Lord, our lives and what you have for us. Thank you for the example of Paul and Barnabas. Thank you for their willingness, their, their servitude, their boldness, Lord, to go into the synagogue and to share God's word. In and out of the synagogue, Lord, they were faithful. Help us, Lord, to take their example today and to be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. If you'd like to check out more of our teachings, please visit ccn.org.au forward slash teachings.